All right. Thank you so much. Don't you guys appreciate those who lead us in worship week after week? I enjoy it so much. So thank you for this morning. If you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 34 today. That means in the last two weeks, we've gone through a lot of verses, 74 of them. Um, I I just keep looking at these passages saying someone's got to shrink this down just a little bit or increase our time uh, just a little bit. We can meet on Wednesdays and just finish it up, whatever we do. We've got a couple of friends with us today, Dan and Gloria, bienvenidos, amiglesia, mi amigos. So these are our neighbors. They love the Lord and we're glad to have them. And Bob and Patty, you got some visitors here today, your son and daughter-in-law, and I forgot son and daughter-in-law's name. Dan and Nancy, welcome to you guys today. Anyone else we have in our midst this morning? All right, well, we're glad to have all of you here. Just want to put a plug for the shoe boxes. They're wonderful. Uh, we pack shoe boxes every year. Joni goes to the distribution plant. If you'd like to go there, I think she still has some spots available. You can see her. She takes two groups this year. That's how much she loves that. And you have some spots too, so there's a lot of spots going around. It's quite an operation, and it's good to watch even what God does through those shoe boxes. It seems like a simple thing, but it's amazing what God does through those. Well, this morning you can see we have a title, A Heart That Belongs to Christ, and we want to be in Luke chapter 12, 1 through 34, and we are moving into a season of Thanksgiving. I love the fact that we look through Psalm 136 and I think 33 today and that we are led to be thankful. Um, as we think about this time of the season, some of you go into this time and on Thursday you'll gather around your table and there won't be certain people there and that will be painful for you. Or you, you are not with your family that you would love to be with. And that's a difficult time. Thanksgiving can often be a difficult time for people. Or perhaps you've been pouring out your prayer to the, your father in light of even passages that we've been reading about in Luke. And there are no answers to your prayer. And as you try to move towards the Lord and be thankful, maybe that's difficult for you. I want to encourage you all in faith to continue to give thanksgiving to the Lord and trust Him. And that last song we were singing a song, even where you lead me where I don't want to go or something like that, I, I will trust in you or believe in you. Whatever the point was in the song, I'm trying to apply that right here. We, we need to recognize the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We're actually going to see that in our passage here this morning as well. Let me... Let me pray as we move into this. I'm not going to read all 34 verses again, except as we move through the passage. And so let's pray and ask God to move in our hearts in this time. Lord, thank you. And that word should be enough. We have fullness of hearts simply because we know Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus, we ask that through the preaching of your word, you would make yourself known. We pray that through relationships we have, that we would be faithful proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. But Lord, as we open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning, we are asking you, Holy Spirit, specifically to move in our midst and to teach us in the ways that we need to learn today. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to open up our hearts to you. 
that whatever darkness is there, you would remove that. Whatever hardness is there, you would soften it. And you would make the hearts of our lives to be good soil to receive all that you want us to receive this morning. Lord, would you please be merciful to us in that regard? Would you please open our hearts to receive? And Lord, I pray that even though the message of this particular passage is specific, we all come in with different needs, different burdens, in different ways we need your presence today. And I pray that regardless of what this passage has to say, that you administer to each one of us and that you would draw us deeper into relationship with you and deepen our love for you and help us to sense your presence. We need it so much, Lord. So you know the affairs of our lives, our worlds, the things that are so heavy in our hearts this morning or the things we're rejoicing over. So Lord, we give this to you and pray that you would work. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, Jesus is continuing something that we've seen even in past passages, he wants to talk a little bit about genuineness. And so this past week, I thought I would look at this particular article right here, 10 Behaviors of Genuine People. And when you look at this, do not, do not seek attention, not concerned with being light, can tell when others are full of it, comfortable in their own skin, do what they say and say what they mean, do not need a lot of stuff, not thin-skinned, not overly modest or boastful, consistent, practice what they preach. This was a psychology article and just looking at people and trying to define what are those characteristics that make up genuineness in someone's life. Well, we're talking about genuine this morning. It's amazing how many of these are actually true of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in being a genuine person. But I, I just wanted to ask the question, what if the list was 10 behaviors of genuine Christians or of a heart that belongs to Christ? What would that look like? Well, Luke, Luke is going to give us some teachings of Jesus this morning that actually lay a little bit of that out there for us. What does it mean to be someone who says they're a follower of Christ and actually lives that in their life? What's going to be true of that person? So the title I put on this message this morning is A Heart That Belongs to Christ. Well, what does that look like? What makes that genuinely true? Increasingly in the church, especially in the United States of America, when people talk about being a Christian, they'll reference a prayer they said. Well, when I was 6 or 7 or 21 or 29, somewhere back there I said a prayer. I know my life doesn't look like it now, but I know I said a prayer there's nothing in the Bible that says you say a prayer back when you're seven and you're actually a follower of Christ. I think we've done a disservice as a church by trying to get people to say the prayer. Whereas in the Gospels, Jesus has a very different approach than that. He's inviting people to, in to understand the, the truths of God's word and what he's been doing throughout time. To become a follower of Christ is to be all in with Jesus. Well, what does that genuine heart look like? That's what we want to consider this morning. So we want to begin with, just with the overall definition. We're going to break this down, going through the verses, but I've highlighted certain parts of it. A heart that is genuine is a heart that pursues the kingdom. A heart that is genuine is a heart that pursues the kingdom. But we're going to break this down a little bit. A heart that is genuine, in other words, not fearing people, but rather fearing God. Putting your fear in the right place is going to be important to be a genuine follower of Jesus. 
acknowledging Christ before men, even in persecution. Put a gun to your head, renounce Christ, or I'll pull the trigger. Pull the trigger, because I believe in Jesus, and I will proclaim his name. That's that genuineness, a heart that is genuine, doing those kind of things, then will be a heart that pursues the kingdom, which means what? Not laying up treasures upon the earth, which is hoarding, that's the word I'm going to use, but rather laying up those treasures in heaven, and that is giving, that is really stewarding might even be a better word that is there. And Jesus is going to make a very strong statement, sell all your possessions, give to the poor. He he makes this kind of statement throughout his ministry, and he's not saying, all right, empty your wallets right now. But what he's saying is we've got to have a mindset of stewardship, that what is given to us here is not to be hoarded and to build up our little empires, but rather God gives us things so that we can use them for the kingdom. He gives us gifts in the body of Christ. He gives us resources, finances, and abilities that we have. Um, relationships that we have, and those are to be stewarded for a, a, a way bigger purpose than we oftentimes use them for. So we're going to work our way through the passage and break that down. But I want us to begin with the context. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this verse. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. Now, I made a reference to this verse last week just to show the crowd is growing around Jesus. We are moving to that time in his ministry when it's just about the end. And so the crowds are just pressing in. And remember last week, he casts out this demon and they marvel at that. And Jesus, I think throughout that passage, makes the point, hey, don't just marvel at these things. You need to become followers of me. That's what this is really all about. The light is here. The light is shining. Make sure your eyes are good and that you're receiving that light down to your very core. And it's affecting who you are. And then he goes after the Pharisees and the lawyers. Don't be like them. They're leading you to death. Be followers of God's word. It leads to life. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there's a lot going on. And as these people are trampling in, notice it continues in verse 1. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's already given the woes to the Pharisees and the woes to the lawyer. Now, right on the heels of that, the crowd is pressing in. Remember, as we ended our passage last week, the Pharisees are following after him. Jesus is leaving, and they're following after him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to make a big deal of it. So they're saying things to him, and Jesus now turns to his disciples and says, you beware of their leaven. The things that they are throwing out there, you be aware of that. It's hypocrisy. And Jesus seems... To be building on, look, look back at chapter 11, verses 39 to 41. He seems to be building on things like this, where it says, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You are presenting one thing, but your heart actually is in a whole other place. You fools, did not who, he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things which are from within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So Jesus is going deep. He said, don't be like them and have some kind of religiosity. In other words, let's try to bring this into a modern-day context. You beware of those people who show up to church on Sunday morning, and they act as if they have it all together. Then throughout the week, they live however they want. That's hypocrisy. Now, what, 
what needs to happen is we all need to acknowledge that in our Christian life, we're all struggling somewhere. If we could project our past week on the screen right now, thoughts you had, or words you said, or actions that you did, there would be some shame in this room. We're we're all in the process of growing, and we've done things or said things or thought things in this past week that we would be ashamed of. And so we're all growing. Jesus is not saying anyone who's battling through life, just beware of them. No, he's saying beware of those people who put a front out here and they're not dealing with what's going on in the inside. And I'm not saying you come to church, we have testimony time, and everybody gets up and bears their soul. This past week, I got to tell you what I did or said or thought. No, there's, there's not much help in that for the body of Christ. But there needs to be a place where we are wrestling honestly with life, where someone does know our heart, someone does know the things we battle with, that we're walking together in these things. And then when we come together, it's not hypocrisy, it's by faith that we continue to live together. Because we're doing the business of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're coming together to encourage the body and use our gifts. But the lawyers, the Pharisees, were not so. They were presenting something, but inside they were dead. They did not belong to Jesus. Actions are to flow from the heart. They aren't to be pretentious. And so all of us have to be wrestling with our heart on one level. And that's one of the reasons why we come together and open up God's word, because we want to benefit from that. And so what is the heart that Jesus is actually referencing as we go through this passage? It's going to be a heart that's genuine. And so he's going to have some points to say about that. And then a heart that pursues the kingdom. And he's got some things that he wants to say about that as well. So let's look first of all at this heart that is genuine. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is going to be the main point of what he wants to say in verses 2 through 12. The main point is this. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, in other words, the body, has the authority to cast into hell. That's the one you are to fear. In other words, we have a saying in our culture, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And so, you know, this idea that, that these, these words that people throw at us, we aren't to fear those kinds of things. Jesus takes it a step further and says, I'll tell you what to fear. It's not those words, those sticks and stones that break our bones, but words that don't hurt us. Don't let those words get to you because you need to realize there is another one that you are to fear. And so that's going to be the main point. Now, I'm going to pull three points out of this, these 12, 11 verses that are hopefully going to bring this home just a little bit. And the first one of this is found in verses 2 and 3. Not fearing people, and I'm going to call that offering to them what they want, living to please them. In other words, when we encounter people, We are not going to give them our genuine heart, follower of Jesus, will die for him, putting my treasures in heaven, living for that glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give them something that will help me be popular or to be liked or where where people will want to be around me, offering them what they want, living to please them. Why? Because people can be deceived, but nothing is hidden from God. And Jesus wants to make a strong point of that. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, 
Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus is saying there is coming a day that what we think is done in secret, we can bury these things in our hearts. There's coming a day when it's going to be revealed. Okay, and he makes this, you know, big statement. It's going to be proclaimed on the housetops. The point he's trying to make is you cannot deceive God. God is one who hears all, sees all. The desire to impress people may lead to a double life because we can put this out there. Hypocrisy where words do not match our actions or our heart. And this is futile because God always sees and hears. That's the point that, that Jesus is trying to draw home. We are responsible to God for everything regardless of consequences of life. So when people are treating us unfairly, unjustly, whatever it might be, there might be peer pressures that are there, or we're going to see later in this passage, even persecution that might be there, our heart is to remain consistent before those people. We are to be bold proclaimers of who we are in Jesus, in what we say, what we do, how we live. And so as you read through these verses right here, If a person has something to hide, in other words, they've got something hidden, then this serves as a warning, a warning to that person because that kind of hypocrisy that presents something out here but's hiding something in here, that kind of lifestyle is futile in the end. But if a person is actually acting consistent with who they are and even in the face of peer pressure continuing to be that person who is a genuine follower of Christ. And this is a motivation. Because that person who stays the course, even through the difficulties and a hard time, there's going to be a reward for that. That's going to be honored on that day. Things that we've done in secret will be revealed because the Father knows those things. God knows what we do, good or bad. Whether it's with integrity or whether it's hypocrisy. And a day is going to come when it is revealed. Think about these verses right here. I'm only going to be there quick, but you may want to write them down and look at them later. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. We also see in Romans chapter 2, In verse 16, same kind of concept where Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, the good news of all of this teaching is we stand in Jesus Christ. There's there's nothing for us to fear here in our standing before God. We are confirmed in Christ through the gospel. But that's also not to say the New Testament also teaches that our actions will be brought before the Lord. We aren't going to lose God because we've got Jesus. But there's going to be a time when we stand before him. And so we need to be mindful of that. God knows what we do, good or bad. So we need the body of Christ to be open. And I encourage all of you here today that we're all in battle somewhere in our life. Let's battle well. Let's just don't bury those things. Let's walk together through life. And oftentimes that happens in life groups, and sometimes it doesn't happen in life groups. 
But you've got to have someone walking with you so that those things in your heart you're actually dealing with. What keeps us from that? What keeps us from being honest about the things we struggle with? It's fear of people, right? It's fear of people. It's fear of being known. And Jesus is saying here, don't be afraid of people who, as he says it here, um, don't, don't be afraid of those who, when you actually are revealing to them, they can do harm to the body and then they can't do anything else. You instead fear God. So do business with what it means to grow in Christ. It's best to fear God in the long run. So a heart that is genuine is not fearing people. We're going to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in honesty. Now, there's a second point that Jesus wants to make here, and that's in verses 4 through 7. Rather than not fearing people, we are to fear God. In other words, offer to him what he wants and living to please him. Why? God is the one to whom we are accountable to in the end. And so in verse, verses 4 through 7, it says this. I tell you, my friends, we've already read verses 4 and 5. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold, sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And so the point he's pulling out is think about what two pennies will buy today. Whatever it is that two pennies will buy, which is not much, whatever it is that two pennies will buy, Jesus says, those things still matter to God. And you're way more important than what two pennies will buy. So there's something good about fearing him and bringing that before him. Why? Because he's going to do us good. And we're going to see that throughout this passage. Notice that the word fear is used throughout this passage. Don't fear here. Instead, fear here. In Matthew 10, 28, instead of after what it says in the ESV here in verse 12, 4, after that have nothing more that they can do. Matthew 10, 28 puts it this way, but cannot kill the soul. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. You feel, fear the one who can kill the soul and can cast into hell. You give your life to him. And that's Jesus in verse 5, or God in verse 5. He is the authority to cast into hell. That's the one you are to fear. And it's talking about the last judgment here, which is very real. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15 is where you can read more about that. If your name's not written into the book of life, there's an eternity in damnation. And this is a message that is decreasingly popular today. And even theologians will talk about the fact that there is not eternal damnation or destruction but the, the message of the Bible, I think, is clear in this way. And Jesus says, you fear that person. And so a person that shakes their fist at God and says, I don't think God exists. I'll live the way I want to. Jesus says, they're on a dangerous path. Because they are refusing to fear the one who has ultimate authority over their life. And so we need to understand who this God is. And we, as we think about who he is, we continue to trust Jesus and put our faith in the gospel and long for that day that he comes back because our hearts are genuine before him. We're laying that on the altar for him. And why can we do that? Because God cares for us. Even what, with what two pennies will buy, he cares for us more than that. And he will watch over you. And there's a third point that comes out here in verses 8 through 12. 
acknowledging Christ before men. This is where we really get into it. If we're not fearing men, but rather we're fearing God, what is that ultimately going to look like in our lives? It's going to be acknowledging Christ before men, even in persecution. And so in verses 8 through 12, it says this, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Or as it says in Matthew, before the Father who is in heaven. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But, and here's one of the huge passages in the Bible. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We often refer to this as the unpardonable sin. What does that mean? And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, even in that most extreme moment when your life could be put on the chopping block and you could lose your life for the sake of Jesus, don't you be afraid. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you what to say. And so we can even minimize that a little bit. When you're talking to your next door neighbor and there's peer pressure or what will they think if I tell them who I am and what I believe? Jesus is saying there too, don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you ought to say. Now maybe you've taken that by faith and said something to someone on an occasion. You felt like it just blew up in your face and you blubbered all over yourself and made a fool of yourself and how embarrassing it was and Jesus would be ashamed that you even said something. Maybe you've done that, but our encouragement is you keep on doing it because the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. He's going to speak through you. And so the overall point here is that as we acknowledge Jesus before men, we will be acknowledged before the Father. A true, genuine believer doesn't fear man, fears God instead and faithfully proclaims who Jesus is. Boldly stands up. In everything in life, it becomes clear that they are a follower of Jesus. You will be acknowledged before the Father. In fact, when you, put verse, when you read verse 8 and skip down to verses 11 and 12, you see what's being said here. You acknowledge me before men. I will acknowledge you before the Father. Even when you are in a difficult situation, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say so that you can acknowledge That's the point of what Jesus is trying to say. We are not to deny Jesus. Our allegiance is to be to him, and we are to let people know that. Now, we may read this verse or even hear me talk about it right now and say, well, I don't deny Jesus. I'm open to proclaim. No, Jesus is saying, there needs to be something so radical about your life that people around you know what you believe, know what you stand for, that you are able to turn conversations toward Christ. You don't laugh at the dirty jokes. You don't join in with them. You actually live different than that. Now, you aren't walking around condemning people, but you also aren't participating with them. There's something that's different about you. Our marriages stay together. Our teens continue to talk to parents. Parents continue to talk to teens. Siblings continue to talk to one another. Because we're working this out. Jesus says, by your love for one another, everyone will know you're my disciples. You are acknowledging me before men by maintaining the unity of the faith. 
by keeping relationships together, those kinds of things, what you do with your money, keeping up with the Joneses is not acknowledging Jesus before those around you, but making very clear decisions not to do something with your money because you are going to do something with your money makes it very clear who you are in Christ. So we've got to figure out for ourselves, what does this mean? For us. And Jesus is making a very strong point here. God is at work in your heart, and He's leading you so that you can acknowledge Him, not just in your words, but in your actions before others around you. So you be careful. And He goes on, He says, because, and let me make sure I use His words here. In verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So Jesus is basically saying here, Pharisees, lawyers, all you who are speaking against me, you can do that and you will be forgiven. But there's something you will not be forgiven of. And that, he goes on and says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Don't you go there. You can reject the Son of Man. And Peter did that three times, didn't he? Was he forgiven? Absolutely. He denied three times he knew Jesus after boldly proclaiming that he wouldn't. And in the end... He received the forgiveness of the Father. And so people can reject the message of Jesus, even repeatedly can reject that message of Jesus. Oh, and they'll be forgiven. And maybe some of you rejected that message repeatedly in your life before there was a time when you received it. God was being gracious to you. But Jesus says, listen, but the sin against the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what we call the unpardonable sin, Don't you dare go there. Well, what is meant by this? It's interesting to look at this verse. I I continue to show you how when you look at these verses in one gospel, it's interesting to look at them in other gospels. And so that's what I did. That's all I did is just try to find where is this verse in other gospels. Matthew uses this verse. Mark uses this verse as well as Luke. And in this particular context right here, if all we had was Luke, we might go down to verses 11 and 12 and say, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when he gives you something to say in a moment of persecution and you don't say it. That might be blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. But you go to Matthew and he uses this a little different. It's interesting. Go back to Luke eleven twenty three. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then get, guess what Matthew includes at that point? He includes this blaspheming against the Holy Spirit at that point. It's interesting you go to Mark and go to Luke eleven twenty two, where it says there, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he, he trusted and divides his spoil. And that's where Mark puts this blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So you have to look at all of those contexts and say, what is the point? You know, regardless of where Jesus' verse or his statement fit clearly, or whether Jesus used this statement in a different context, what is the overall point of what's going on here? What unifies all of these gospels in their use of this particular verse? And I think it's this one concept. The rejection of allegiance to Jesus, for which the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of people. That's what it is. 
The Holy Spirit is working. You can reject the message of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is working in you to receive that message. He's plowing up the soil of your heart so that it's good soil and can receive this message. And if you blaspheme against that, if you reject that, that's the unpardonable sin. And why is that? Because you have lost the opportunity to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, it's, it, it's not just one time. It's persistent and decisive rejection of the Holy Spirit's work in you concerning Jesus. Listen to the way one Bible scholar said it. It's Daryl Bach. He's a, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. When a person obstinately rejects and fixedly refuses that message or evidence, that person is not forgiven of that. Why? They have solidified. They have turned themselves away. You go back to Exodus and you see Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's that kind of activity. And so no matter how many signs Pharaoh saw, he didn't turn to the Lord. He continued to walk away. Decide, obstinately rejects and fixedly refuses. He goes on and says, once the Spirit's testimony about God's work through Jesus is permanently refused, you are sealed against that, then nothing can be forgiven since God's plan has been rejected. That is the beginning of damnation for a person. It's the beginning. And they won't realize it. They will be able to live foolishly. They can think that they're rising above it in their life, but there's coming a day, Jesus says, when they will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they made a really bad decision at that moment. In walking away from Jesus. Another John Noland says the denial or rejection of the manifest saving intervention of God on behalf of his people. The one who hardens himself or herself against what God is doing as he acts to save. And that's going to be through the Holy Spirit. Places him or herself beyond the reach of God's present disposition of eschatological forgiveness. That's a lot of fancy words in there. To say the same thing. God is moving in people's hearts. And he is drawing them to himself. And a person who hardens himself to that. And just fixedly opposes that particular message. Jesus says that will not be forgiven. Now here's good news. Here's good news. God pursues constantly. God goes after. God doesn't give up on the 90 and 9, the one sheep that goes away. God is the shepherd. He goes after that one. And so we can rest assured of this. Before we ever get to this point, God has pursued and pursued and pursued. And in one sense, until Jesus comes back, the opportunity still exists for everyone. In one sense, until Jesus comes back, that total hardening is probably not taking place. And so there is no one in your life who is beyond that reach. I don't want you to read this verse and say, oh yeah, I know someone blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, unpardonable. They're out of the reach of Jesus now. We should never have that mentality because God takes dead people and he makes them alive. God takes hardened hearts and he softens them to the gospel. He takes darkened thinking and he turns the lights on. And we are to continue to proclaim, and that's what Jesus is saying here. You continue. The genuine heart is someone who's going to proclaim Jesus. Let me give you some other verses you could look at about this walking away from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6. 
verses 4 through 6 would be a passage you might want to read. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And there are others. Those are warning passages in Hebrews about how we live our lives. But the point that where Jesus brings all of this is even for a believer, even, I think verse 11 really ought to begin with the word even rather than and. Because he's making that point, even when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, even then, don't be anxious about how you should acknowledge the Son before humanity. Don't even be anxious then about how you defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in every hour what you ought to say. And here we are again in in Luke's gospel And the Holy Spirit continues to show up. We've got to have a good theology of the Holy Spirit. Jesus again is saying is, if you're a follower of me, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Don't deny the Holy Spirit's work in you. He will help you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will teach you. And so when sweat is pouring off your forehead, you don't know what you're going to say next. And you're in that moment by the water cooler, at work, or in the locker room, at school, The Holy Spirit's going to teach you what you ought to say. Just open your mouth in faith and begin talking and watch what God does. Acknowledge Jesus before those around you. To whom? To whom would the Lord want you to be acknowledging Jesus? High schoolers, middle schoolers, in school. To whom? Would the Lord want you to acknowledge Jesus in your neighborhoods, in work, with homeschool parents, athletic events, whatever it might be? Who, to whom would God want you to acknowledge him? The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. But don't fear men. Don't fear them. You fear God instead. He wants you to be acknowledging him and giving him all praise and all glory. We don't just give glory to the Lord on Sunday mornings. It's throughout the week in our conversations. I remember once I was in a locker room at Brea Community Center. And this guy, I've turned a corner with him. And since, I've given him the gospel a number of times. But I remember the first time we were developing a relationship. And he said something to me about, I can't remember what it was. But I said, oh, I'm so lucky. So lucky? He walked away, and I stood there in front of my locker, and I said, why did I say I'm so lucky? Is that really what I believe? That I'm so lucky? Why didn't I say, you'd better believe it. God has blessed me so much through Jesus. I'm so thankful for that, that that happened to me. But I give all praise to him. Now, maybe I shouldn't say all that. But do you follow me? Why did I say I'm so lucky? God says, you acknowledge me before men. That ought to be the way we live our lives. That we recognize when good happens to us, all praise goes to him. And we've got to figure out how to bring that into our everyday lives. Instead of using words like lucky or fortunate, oh, that's so cool. No, all praise to Jesus. Let's acknowledge him before others. The Holy Spirit will teach us what we are to say. But there's still more in this passage that we need to get to. We need to get to a heart that is genuine is ultimately a heart that pursues the kingdom And that's what we have to keep into our minds. And I've got a couple of points I want to make here. The first one is not laying up treasures on earth. We've got a couple of points, especially in verse 15 
in 21 that are important for this. Verse 15, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Wow, that's contrary to the thinking of our world. I've been in all different all, all cultures all around the world. It doesn't matter how much or how little someone has. They always want one more dollar, one more heal, one more shilling, one more euro, just one more. Why? Because our thinking is so much that we, it is important for us. Our abundance of possessions can be important for us. And so the picture here is of hoarding wealth in the bigger barns. The point is life is more than our possessions, so don't cling to our resources for earthly comfort. And it's the rich fool that Jesus gives a parable about here. This person in the crowd cries out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, Jesus doesn't answer his question, but yet he also does. He answers it in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instead of answering this person's question directly, he answers it through all of this teaching, and ultimately the point is made clear. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Because that's where your heart's going to be. And Jesus goes through several illustrations in talking about this about life being more important than possessions. He tells them that parable, the, the land of a rich man produced plenty, plenty fully, and he built bigger barns. Now, if we had time to read the parable, this is actually a, a dilemma that we all might face. God gives us bounty, and what do we do with it? It seems to make sense. We look at this story and say, well, what's the problem? That seems like a wise thing to do. Plan for the future. Consider the ant, oh sluggard, who store. We could bring a proverb in here even. But there's an issue that Jesus is trying to bring out. And I think that if you underline in your Bible the words I and my, you'll realize, whoa, okay, I see what's going on here. He said, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods loaded up for many years. Relax, eat and drink merry. There, there seems to be an issue here of me, my, I, lacking appropriate gratitude for what the Lord has done, what the Lord has provided. And ultimately, God's response to him is, you fool. You fool. What does Psalm 14, 1 say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Ultimately, what is a fool in the Bible? A fool is one who lives as if God does not exist. Who is a fool in our world? Someone who lives as if God does not exist. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, ultimately, to live as if God does not exist with this particular viewpoint right here. And there's a problem here. It's the lacking appropriate gratitude and lacking generosity. We see the, the self-centeredness, the self-indulgence, the leisure that is associated with all of this. Wealth toward self is ultimately poverty toward God. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Living as if God is not. 
Back when I was at Taylor University in Indiana, I was teaching psychology there, and I had a counseling practice down in Indianapolis. And I was using space in a, a sports medical doctor. He did countless surgeries on various NFL players and other athletes. Very profitable business that he had there. And one day we were out for some coffee, and I said to him, you know, I just got to ask you a question. What's it like to be so rich? And I'll never forget his answer. He looked me right in the eyes, and he says, you don't want the responsibility. I was sobered by that. And it caused me to think about the way I think about riches. And I love the way he just discipled me in that moment. You don't want the responsibility. When we begin to receive, a responsibility begins. And Jesus says, don't put your trust in all of that. There's nothing there. Life is way more than what you possess. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven, on earth. But instead, we are to lay up our treasures in heaven. And we see in verses 23, 31, and 34, the main point of what he's saying. Verse 23, for life is more than food, the body than clothing. Verse 31, let's see if I can find it here. Verse 31, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. In verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the picture here is one of giving wealth generously to others. And the point is, life is more than our possessions. So release our resources for the kingdom concerns, whatever that might be for us. And the several illustrations are offered here. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. Consider that you can't add one hour to your life. Consider all those things. God has given to you. He has blessed you. You don't have to concern yourself with all of that. We were reading through Psalm 136 this morning. For his steadfast love endures forever. We can trust that ultimately. Since you have a heavenly father, you don't have need to worry is what he's saying. And I find when I do travel the world, these verses have a whole lot more to do with the rest of the world, oftentimes in the United States of America. We aren't always thinking about where our food or clothes are coming from. Not to say that we're absent of that, but we don't generally think about that. Around the world, they're oftentimes thinking about what they're going to eat that day. And these verses can have power at that point in time. But we've got to think about the way we look at our finances. It is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, he says in verse 32. We have it all in the future. It's coming our way. So what we got to do now is live for him and steward all of that that we have. So we want to keep seeking the Lord. In verse 34, he says that's what it is because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And I would dare say that where your treasure is right now, that's where your heart is too. And you find that when people invest in something, they're interested in it. So why oftentimes it's just a bad idea to offer a conference or a seminar for free. People may show up, they may not. But you ask them for 25 bucks and you have a greater likelihood of them being there. Why? They've put their money there and so they're likely going to show up. And that's what Jesus is saying. Where you put your money, that's where your treasure is. You want your heart to grow for the Lord, invest in kingdom concerns. Be the kind of person that looks at what you receive financially or the time that you have available to you and you start stewarding that for the Lord and your heart will follow. 
your heart will become full of what God is doing because your money is there, your time is there, your relationships are there, and you will find something begins to grow in you. You will remain engaged with wherever you're putting your resources. The bottom line of all of this, I want to end with Colossians chapter 3. And so I want us to turn back to Colossians, actually chapter 2. And I want us to read a few verses that I, I think really try to help us land this plane. A genuine heart is one that pursues the kingdom. A genuine heart, not fearing men, but fearing God, acknowledging Christ before men, is one that pursues the kingdom, not laying up treasures on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Colossae in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let your eyes slide over to chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then go back to chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Why put our minds there? Because he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. That's what Jesus is all about. To be preeminent in everything in our lives. So Paul says, put your mind on things up here. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So put your treasure in kingdom concerns. Seek that first above all things. Everything that you have in this world is not to be hoarded. It's to be given for kingdom concerns. And that's where your heart's going to be. And it will radically change the way you live. What does that mean for you when you think about A genuine heart is one that pursues the kingdom, not fearing man, but fearing God, acknowledging him, not laying up your treasures on on earth, but laying them up in heaven. What does that mean for you today? Let's all bow our heads for just a moment. Joe's going to come and lead us in some closing songs, but I believe that the Holy Spirit does move in a moment like this. And I believe he's moving in your hearts right now. Maybe you're just thinking, wow, that was long. But as you put your eyes on the biblical text, think about what it is that God is stirring in your heart. Or think back to a point in the sermon where God was moving in you. Don't let that moment go away. The Spirit of God is working in you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. And he wants to bring about fruit from that. The word of God wants to land on your heart right now. And what is that for you? Is it someone to whom you should proclaim his name? Is it the way you're stewarding your resources? Have you ever sat down with people around you and talked about how you spend your money or your time? What that should look like? A genuine heart is where Jesus is clean through us. 
and affects every part of our life. And it's obvious that we seek and treasure his kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fully grasp what it is that you want to teach us from this time. I pray that we would be the kind of people who proclaim your name, that we would not hoard what you've given us, but we would release it for your work that you're doing in this world. So Lord, teach us right now. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. And would you show us favor and transform us into your image as a result of your word this morning. 